Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I know what you're thinking. We're still in Romans 8, week 5. Buckle up, we've got like three or four more weeks. (laughs) Someone said, you know it's going to be a bad day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. You know it's a bad day when your twin sister forgot your birthday. It's a bad day when your horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. You step on the bathroom scale and it says tilt. You realized that you just sprayed spot remover under your arms instead of deodorant. It costs more to fill your car with gas than it did to buy it. Yeah, it's about right. You wake up to the soothing sound of running water. And remember that you just bought a waterbed. You wake up and your braces are stuck together. You compliment the boss's wife on her unusual perfume, only she isn't wearing any. You need a bathroom scale for each foot. You call your wife and tell her that you would like to eat out tonight, and when you get home, there's a sandwich on the porch. Airline food starts to taste good. Your doctor tells you that you're allergic to chocolate chip cookies. You have to borrow from your visa to pay off your MasterCard. Everyone loves your driver's license picture. Your kids start treating you the same way you treated your parents. These are just some of the things, and they're humorous. But we all have had our share of bad days, amen? We've all had our share. And one of the reasons we go to church is so that we could face these difficulties in life. To understand what God has to say and what God is willing to do for you and to allow you to overcome those difficulties. Now, some preachers have weird ideas about ministry. None that we know, but some of them are a little strange when it comes to ministry. And when it comes time to preach, they want to preach a blistering message to the congregation. Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. Let me give you an example. This man, he attended a funeral at a little country church in, I think it was South Carolina. And the little church building was packed because a farmer had died that many people loved. And they showed up to demonstrate their love and respect for him and for his family. And it was so filled up that many of the elderly folks had to stand in the back in the foyer. And after a few songs, which were poorly sung, he said, the preacher got up and preached a 45-minute blistering sermon to the congregation. And when he got through, they had a few more poorly sung songs. And... The preacher got right back up and preached another hour 
of the same blistering message. And the service was so long that the elderly fellow fainted and hit the floor in the back in the foyer during that service. And after the service, this man was somewhat, not the old elderly man, but the other man I'm talking about. The, old, the man, he, he got aggravated. He couldn't understand what was going on and why he did what he did. And so he wanted to address the pastor. And he said in a very nice way, Brother, that was some long funeral service. You know what his, his response was? He goes, Sir, he goes, a lot of these people who were here today hardly ever come to service or church. And I wanted to preach the word of God to them while I had them. Well, he had them, but he didn't have them after that. He lost them. He lost them. And, and some preachers and, and teachers will take advantage of a situation like that and try to blister the congregation so they can get across some point they might make. Maybe the Holy Spirit called upon them to do this. And I will tell you that I want to say, don't get me wrong. If the Holy Spirit calls upon me to give a blistering message, you better believe I'm going to stand in this pulpit and deliver. Amen. But we all live in a world that is filled with difficulties. And people need to know that we serve a God who can deliver us from those difficulties. We need to hear something from God's word that will strengthen us. We live in a world where people do not know where to turn when they have difficulties. And part of that is due to ministers of God who are not teaching them. That's a sad, sad thing to say, but it's true. We're not ministering to them. In Psalm chapter, uh, chapter 50, verse 15, we read, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And then in 1 Peter 5, we read, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. When we come to church, we need to hear something from God's word that will help us face difficult times in our life. We do need to hear that. We need to sing songs that will draw us close to the Lord. We need to sing songs that will encourage us. A song that I know we've sang before, but it's been a while, but He is able to deliver thee. The words of the great song go like this. Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world ever sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. Now, if I don't accomplish anything today, which could happen... But if I don't accomplish anything today in this sermon, I hope that I will be able to convince you this morning that God loves you and that he can deliver you and he can deliver you from those difficulties, whatever you're facing. Nothing's too big for God. Now, I kind of feel sorry for those who may be among us who do not know the Lord and are not saved. Because you cannot turn to the devil and ask him to help you because he only wants to see you fail. And he wants to see that you're absolutely miserable. And you can't turn to God, to the Father of help, because he is not your heavenly Father. 
And so it's important this morning that you understand why we need that relationship and why we have difficulties. Difficulties are placed in our life not because God wants to see how he can punish you. God doesn't place these things in our life so that we can fail. God wants to place these things in your life so that you can succeed as long as we fall upon him. As long as we fall upon him. The lost world turns to many different things in life to cope with life because they have no one to turn to with their difficulties. That's because they're not willing to turn to Christ. Look at the two things about life's difficulties. First, we have the continuation of these difficulties. It seems that life is filled with one difficulty after another. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because we've all been there. Listen to this. There is no town and there's no place that you and I could move to and never have any more difficulties. I know people have that notion that oh, maybe if I move and get a fresh start. Yes, you'll have a fresh start. But you'll have a fresh opportunity for a difficulty to come in your life. Speaking out of towns and countries, just to name a few, maybe these places aren't the best places to move if you're looking for no difficulties. How about Boneyard, Arizona? These are actual places. Bootlegger Crossing, Arizona. Elephant Butt, New Mexico. Interesting. Goose Pimple Junction, Virginia. Great Snoring, Norfolk, UK. Hicksville, Ohio. Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. Smelly, Alabama. Skinking Bay, Arkansas. The point is this. There is no city, there's no country that you can move to and not have difficulties. It doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what you have, and it doesn't matter what family you belong to. Everyone experiences difficulties in their life. And we do not get out of one difficulty before it seems we're heading into another one, right? However, there are some difficulties that exist in our life due to two things this morning. First, there is a myth problem. A myth problem. And now many have been raised in a fairy tale world. Now I'm not up here to blow smoke up your skirt. We don't live in a fairy tale world. A young girl often starts life by having her parents tell her Cinderella stories. You know, one day a young handsome prince will come and whisk her away, and all the difficulties that she had before are going to vanish, and she'll live with that prince happily ever after. They're great stories, and they're stories that we encourage our kids, that they could live a life like that only through our Savior Jesus Christ. But we have to also know this. This is not reality. This is not reality. In Job chapter 5, we read, Yet man is born unto trouble, and the sparks fly upward. Not in very encouraging. We're already born into trouble. We're already behind the gate. And that's why it says in Revelation 21, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things 
have passed away. There's a reason why God has said this to us. Because in our life, we're going to have sorrow. We're going to have tears. Do you understand what Paul's doing here in chapter 8? He's built us up now. He's gave us the encouragement that we've needed. But now he's also saying, don't, don't get too far ahead of yourself. There are going to be troubles. There are going to be trials. But when I'm by your side, we will get through it. Only if you allow God to work through you. Do you know why God is going to wipe away the tears from our eyes? Because there are no difficulties in heaven. We look forward to that. There are no difficulties in heaven. There are no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. You see, the myth problem is that some in this life believe we can live without difficulty. They believe it. They truly believe that they can live without difficulty. And I say, them, I say this to them. Wake up and smell the coffee. Wake up and smell the coffee. See, not only is there a myth problem, but there's also a mental problem here. Some people cannot comprehend that we live in a changing world. We had a drastic change happen in this church back in June. Some of us were okay with it. Some of us were not. That's okay. It's a difficulty that we'll go through together. It's a difficulty that we can allow God to show himself through it. It's not a person that we worship. It's not the people. It's God we are here for. We allow God to intervene and take care of those things. And we know that difficulties are as much a part of our lives as breathing is. We know that. And we need to get this into our thinking. Everything in the world is always changing. And many times the changes bring difficulties in our life. For example, you can buy a brand new car. But the day you buy it, what happens? It goes down in value, right? You can build your dream home. But the day you complete it and move into it, guess what happens? It begins to deteriorate. A girl can be so good looking that when she wins every beauty contest. But after a few years, she can't even bribe her way into the winner's circle. Beauty fades. Newness fades. When things are going well, we wish it would stay that way. But that's not the way life is, is it? Nature teaches us we live in a changing world. And in the spring, we know, if you've ever been on the East Coast, that the dogwood trees are gorgeous when they bloom. They're gorgeous. But for all of their beauty, it only lasts a short time. Nature teaches us that we live in a changing world. How about weeping willows? Don't they look pretty? What do they look like in the winter? They look like there's sticks sticking out of the ground. It's not a sight to see, right? But understand this. Even though nature teaches us that things change, know this. The only thing in our lives that does not change is that we have the same God that we serve. That never changes. Look at Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not. He never changes. The world may change, but God does not change. He loved me in the past. He loves me now. 
and he will love me and take care of me in the future. If God did change, that would bring a lot of difficulty in our life. But he has stated clearly, I change not. And most of us have come to accept the fact that we live in a world that is filled with difficulties. And we can all agree that in this life there seems to be an overlapping of those difficulties. And we face those day to day. We've looked at the continuation, but more importantly, I want you to look at the conquest of difficulties. How do we overcome the difficulties that we face each day? Well, we need to look at our reality. Let's look at our reality. Again, we have to accept the fact that we're going to have those difficulties in life, and that is the reality. But our salvation is a free gift. But the difficulties provide us opportunities to earn those eternal rewards. Paul looked at some of the difficulties he faced and said in verse 18 of Romans 8, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All we suffer for the cause of Christ here on earth is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Suppose, let's, let's, let's bring that car back into existence again. Suppose we had a car that barely ran, right? Some of you might have cars that barely run. It's full of dents, and it's ready for the junkyard. Then someone comes up to you in a Rolls Royce that was immaculate and told you he would like to swap it for that piece of junk that you were driving. Would you be willing to swap? But understand this. This is what Paul is saying here. The sufferings or the difficulties that we go through in this life cannot be compared to what God has for us. Until then, we have to face reality. We are going to have difficulties as long as we live here on this earth. And secondly, if we're going to overcome life's difficulties, we need to look at, plain and simply, God's Word. We need to look at God's Word. If you and I went to a store and bought a swing set for our children, took it home, opened the large box, and found all the pipes, chains, bolts, and screws, and everything you needed to build this, but there were no instructions. Would you be upset? Men are like, oh no, I can take care of that. I don't need the instructions. Yeah, we do. Can we live a life that is pleasing to God without his word? Can we live a life according to his word if we don't have his word? Now obviously a person's life is more complicated than a swing set. But I can assure you that God has not placed us here without any instructions. He has preserved his word for us because it is his word that tells us how to overcome the difficulties of life. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The instructions are there. Whether we read them or not is on us. But they are there. If we search the scriptures daily, we can find the solutions to all the difficulties that we face. Now, some time ago, George Barna did a poll, and he polled adults, and he says, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? 
If you could ask God one question, what would you ask? And the top response was this. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Now, I can't think of anything more universal to the human experience than suffering. Because we've all suffered. And if you haven't, just wait. It's going to happen. But in fact, many people point to the problem of pain as their reason for not believing in God. If you're not going through a hard time right now, like I said, just wait. You will. Because that's the nature of living in a fallen world. Pain is guaranteed for anyone who takes on the task of living. Anybody ready for the coming of the Lord? Yeah, we are. But in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live our life. Go through those difficulties. But in through those difficulties, we allow God to be ever-present. We allow God to manifest himself through us and through that difficult situation. Now, we all can come up here and testify to a situation where we didn't know how we were going to get through it. But somehow God intervened and he took care of it. And sometimes we don't recognize it in the moment, but hindsight is always twenty twenty, And we can look back and say, yeah, God stepped in and he took care of that, didn't he? You see, you have to understand that this is not just an intellectual issue to be packaged in a sermon. This is a concept that we all should understand and all should be able to tackle with the knowledge that we've been given. Now, related to the question of why there is suffering in this world and the the question of how to process our pain, how do we do that? Because we live in a sinning, sighing, sobbing, and suffering world filled with cancer, murder, relational ruptures, dementia, grief, genetic disorders, and I can go on and on and on. But understand this. When you become a Christian, all your problems aren't removed. Can you agree with me on that? All of our problems are not removed. Actually, we inherit a new set of problems because now you're swimming against the cultural current. You're not fitting the mold that the world wants you to be. The Christian life is not about the subtraction of suffering, but rather the addition of grace to go through that suffering. One of the reasons Roman 8 is so great is because it presents in detail three major doctrines of the Christian life. And the first is justification. Justification deals with the past. We were saved from the penalty of sin. And then there's sanctification. Sanctification deals with the present. We are saved from the power of sin. And then finally, glorification. And glorification deals with the future. We will be saved from the presence of sin. So, how do we hold on to the hope when we're hurting? And that's exactly what's addressed in today's scripture. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's our guidelines. There's our instructions. How do we live this life in a time of suffering? We wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin. And we need the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to preserve and persevere in that suffering. So here's our main idea. To get through your groaning... Focus on the glory to come. Get past that suffering. Focus on the glory to come. And I see three ways to hold on to that hope from this passage. First, focus on future glory more than your present suffering. When we're hurting, we tend to get wrapped up in it and we're going through what we we're going through what we're going through, but we also lose perspective. We lose perspective of things. Romans 8.18 gives us that corrective. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are to focus on the Lord, not the difficulty. Now you might say, well, if I don't focus on that difficulty, how am I going to get through it? Well, we get through it by allowing the Lord to get through it with you. Verse 17, when we learn how our present grief prepares us for promised glory. So in other words, to consider is to reckon, to think about, to calculate. And it's important to think biblically about suffering so we're not surprised when it comes. We're not shocked. Notice the word sufferings is plural, meaning we will have a multiplicity of problems. Not just one or two, several. The word glory means heavy or weighty and refers to all of God's presence and his promises. We use the phrase going to glory to refer to the dying after they go to heaven. Now compared to the weightiness of glory or our sufferings are relatively short and light. This is kind of fleshed out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So in other words, Paul is not making light of his troubles, and neither should we. Do not make light of your troubles. He's saying basically that they are short in comparison to what lies before us. 
it's short in comparison to what lies before us. And we should pay attention to his perspective because in the previous verses, he described being afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. We tend to gaze upon our sufferings and only glance at our future glory. Instead, we're called to glance upon our sufferings while gazing at our glory. And to get through your groaning, focus on the glory to come. That's what you need to get this morning. Focus on that. Focus on the glory to come. Also recognize the curse on creation will be reversed. It will be reversed. Doesn't it seem like our world is kind of out of whack? It is. But God's going to reverse that. On a regular basis, we hear of floods, earthquakes, heat waves, viruses, hurricanes. We hear about these all the time. Verse 19 personifies creation. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now the word waiting here refers to looking for with expectation. The phrase eager longing is used seven times in the New Testament and each time referring to the return of Jesus Christ. It means to stretch out the neck and thrust the head forward. It means we're eager to do this, right? We're eager to do this. Notice all of creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation itself is straining to see the coming restoration and when Christians will be made complete. That's what they call the revealing. And it refers to the return of Christ. And this is one of the three words which refer to the second coming, along with appearing and coming. Now, I'm challenged by what Martin Luther used to say. He says, we ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. In other words, we don't have any time to waste. We need to get on top of this. And speaking of the return of Christ, over 300 people have registered for this conference upcoming in the spring. And we'll be speaking about um, what they call an open line. And it's um, basically expository preaching about how to deal with the issues that we're dealing with today. But understand this, even pastors, teachers, we don't always get it right because we go through our own struggles, right? But we also understand that God has given us the instructions. He's given us the ability to go through those things, and God has given you the ability to go through these things. Because creation has been cursed in the past. So automatically we're cursed. But in verse 20 we read, For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So when Adam sinned, all of creation was put under a curse as stated in Genesis 3. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. God was not messing around, was he? 
and he's still not messing around. Genesis 5 adds, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. But isn't it wonderful to know that even though we go through difficulties and even though we go through things that seem overwhelming, God's got that handled too. The curse will be reversed in the future. And according to Isaiah 11, when the effects of sin are removed from our world, the animal world will no longer be predatory. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. I don't know about you, I look forward to that day. When we don't have to worry about the stresses of this life, the difficulties that we're currently in and will continue to be in. But to understand and know that even through that difficulty, I can praise God. I can give Him thanks for all that He is, for all that He was, and all that He will ever be. And He is sufficient for everyone. Creation is groaning in the present. We know that. We see this in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But if you listen very carefully there, you can hear creation crying out for redemption. The word groaning means to sigh with affliction and was used for groaning under a heavy burden. Now as a guy, I won't pretend to understand the pains of childbirth. I don't pretend to know, nor do I ever want to know. I've had kidney stones. I hear that's close, but not quite. That was not fun. No, it's not. But it's a good picture of what the world is going through right now. Hosea chapter 4, Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. So to get through our groaning, I'll say it again, focus on the glory to come. Wait with hope and patience while you groan inwardly. Notice I said inwardly. Not only is creation groaning, Christians are as well. What sound do you make when you're stressed or upset? Do you sigh? Do you exhale loudly? Apparently I do this all the time, even when everything's fine. I get yelled at for it. You're sighing again. Sorry. Do you scream? Do you groan out loud? Go ahead, let out a groan right now. That's where we're at. But understand that God said this was going to happen. That God already knew that we were going to go through this. And he placed each and every one of us in this seat where we're at now for that reason. There is a reason you're here. There is a reason we're listening. At least I hope we're listening. There's a reason for this. And according to Romans 8.23, we know this world is not all there because we are not home yet. And we'll get into that next week. We are not home yet. This is just temporary. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And we still groan inwardly as we wait eagerly to be adopted as sons. The redemption of our bodies. 
Believers have been given the first fruits of the Spirit, which means we have been given the first installment of that pledge of that final delivery. Understand that. First fruits in the Old Testament referred to the initial offering made after the harvest. It was made in faith and anticipation of the greater harvest to come. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in that time now. That second harvest is now. This speaks to the time when we will stand with the Lord in heaven and he announces, I want to introduce you to my child. In that sense, the final stage of our adoption is still in the future. In the meantime, we groan deeply on the inside as we wait with eagerness for our full adoption and the redemption of our bodies. And this is fleshed out in 2 Corinthians. For this, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. There's so much gross stuff going on in this world which makes us groan. This groaning is a deep, intense, and it's universal. Now, during the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games in England, there was a giant mechanical bull, 30 feet tall, with glowing red eyes, and was rolled into the center of the stadium. And the human performers gathered around the bull and bowed down in worship to it. Now this kind of made me think of the time in the Old Testament when they worshipped Baal, which was often depicted as a bull. And all this gross stuff makes us groan. And there are many examples I could give about things of that nature. But on top of that is the ugliness in our own hearts, which makes us want to scream. And as strange as it may sound, groaning characterizes the Christian and creation itself. We grieve and we groan, but we also do that because we have hope. We have hope for what's ahead. We have hope for what's going to happen, for the future glory that will be revealed to us. The groaning that comes from the grossness of sin and the greatness of suffering should create a longing for glory. And we wait for that. One pastor said, the Christian viewpoint on suffering is this. Yes, it's bad, but it's not going to last forever. And yes, it's terrible, but this is not the final story. This isn't the last chapter. Yes, we suffer, but God has ordained that our suffering is temporary. Something better for us is along the way. And the word hope is used five times in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So while we're groaning, while we groan inwardly, God wants to develop the qualities of hope and patience within us. But don't be like most people. Don't ask for it. He will deliver. Hope is the settled confidence that God will keep all of his promises. That's why we hope. And patience is the ability to endure pain and problems because we're on our way to heaven. 
We're on our way to heaven. And we're reminded there is an invisible world which is more real than this visible world. There was a, an event not too long ago. There was a bunch of men. And I was asked to pray uh, for this group. And they had this barbecue and whatever. And so the, the, the head person had called me and asked if I would um, write a prayer for them. And I did so. And I referred to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done and loved. And basically summarized it in this way. I said they need to wake up, they need to stand up, they need to man up, grow up, and love up. And I told them he should say this. I said additional man cards will be available to them in the back. We need to step up. We have to understand that even though things are difficult, we can't quit. We need to press forward because we know what lies before us. We don't quit. We don't quit. Future on, focus on the future glory more than your present suffering. Recognize the curse on creation will be reversed. Wait with hope and patience while you groan inwardly. And to get through your groaning, focus on that glory to come. Go back and forth. You're going to go through this cycle many times in your life. I want to close by going back to that poll that I mentioned earlier. But God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It's the incarnation. Understand that. It is not his explanation. It's his incarnation. And the best answer to the problem of evil is Jesus Christ. God isn't a detached, distant, or disinterested deity. He cares about you. He loves you. He sent his son who entered our world of suffering, evil, and pain. He took the worst of it for you and I. He died as your substitute, was raised to life in victory, ascended to heaven as the conqueror, and is coming again in triumph. When you're tempted to ask God, why do you do this to me? Instead, look at the cross and ask, why did you do that for me? Amen? Amen. David's going to come lead us a time of benediction. But I also want to give you the opportunity this morning. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you do not have that relationship with Him, I pray this morning that you will come and get to know Him. Because like I said, we need to act like Christ died in the morning, resurrected in the afternoon, and is coming back again in the evening. We don't have time. So I pray that today is that day you come to that decision. Dave. Pastor Chris will be up front. If you have a decision you'd like to make this morning, we welcome you. My heart's desire is no one leave 
without knowing for certain that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ because the Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. Not guess, but know. So you're welcome to come forward this morning, maybe for prayer. We welcome you as well. I'm going to sing, You Are a Holy God. You are a holy God. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.